We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 20 as we continue in our, our monthly third Sunday uh, consideration of this, the state of the church, both the state of the church uh, throughout the ages in the United States right now and here at Harvest Baptist Church. We're going to pray this morning for the Bedic people of Senegal, uh, 4,800 people uh, who worship uh, in, in what would be considered folk religious ways, completely unreached and in need of the gospel. We're going we're gonna to pray for them. Um, but let's read in Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Jesus is uh, in the temple. This is the week you could call of controversy. This is the week leading up to the crucifixion. Um, and so, so there's a tremendous amount of antagonism towards his ministry, and um, and and the things are, are are there's a lot of conflict. And so, uh, the scriptures pick up. Luke picks up the narrative, and it says, "So they watched him. That's Jesus, and sent spies. This is the religious authorities, the the Sadducees, Pharisees, um, and and different groups of, of people." They watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Let's pray as we turn the explanation of God's word. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. We think of the the Bedic people of Senegal, Lord, 4,800 people precious in your sight who have portions of the scripture in their language, who can comprehend and know you, and yet they do not know you perhaps because no one has shared with them, perhaps because of their commitment to their religions, they do not know you and therefore are cut off from you uh, in a way in which we who have the freedom and opportunity to hear the word cannot imagine. And so we pray, Father, that, that some of what we give both to our convention in our offering and and. and And what we do here as a church as we raise up and send out some from among our midst, we pray that that these people would be reached for your glory. We pray your blessing on them, Lord, and we pray that you would draw them to you. We pray too, Father, for ourselves. We are created in your image and yet fallen as we are, separated from you by nature, the journey to you, being conformed to your image is a difficult thing. We resist it from the core of our being, from the the natural way in which we grew up, 
the, the pride and the arrogance and the resistance comes so naturally. And hearing your voice in the word, hearing what you say to us is something that, that we almost instantly resist and, and, and it takes an act of will to hear your spirit speaking and it takes a tremendous amount of effort to bend and to say, yes, what we hear is good and we will obey it. Lord, we pray that you would help us to move beyond outward conformity to your word, looking like a Christian in our culture, and that your word might soak deep into our souls. And that by the power of the Spirit, we may be transformed into the image of Christ. Lord, the things that might seem to take a tremendous amount of effort in this life, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's, kissing those taxes goodbye, that can seem difficult. But we pray your help with us in the greater area of rendering to you what is yours. May we be transformed back into the image of God as we are transformed into the image of your beloved Son. And we pray that that would be the great work of our lives. That that would be our heart's desire. That that would be our mission as a church to be transformed and to help others to be transformed as well. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, as we consider the state of the church, uh, we, have, we have gone on a journey. We've We've considered what a church is. We have considered uh, different ministries of the church. We have considered many things. Um, this morning, as we consider the ministry of discipleship, we're going to be talking a little bit about how following Jesus in truth is being a disciple and how helping others follow Jesus is our task as we make disciples, and it is the act of discipling. But first I want to consider um, the work of the Crayola Company and the goodness and, and purity of a box of crayons. Uh, crayons, I think I've cracked the mystery in that they come in multiples of eight, um, I think the big pack is either 72 or 96. Um, I'm pretty sure 96 is a multiple of eight, isn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure. Don't shout. Yes, it is. Um, and and, and so, so, so crayons come in these amazingly pleasing packs. There is nothing, uh, I, I think, similar to the joy. And if you've not used crayons in a while, get with it and just, you know, print something out. Go online. You know, if you've, if you've got a, a computer, pick out anything and just print out coloring, you know, Google coloring page of whatever, whether it's Iron Man, Optimus Prime, the White House, whatever, that's going to be boring color. Um, you know, something, something. And, and, and then open up a fresh pack of crayons and it's like somehow they are arranged in there, right? You know, in these multiples of eight and they've got these, these, these odd, you know, tapering yet perfect forms to them and then and they've got those color kind of matching wrappers on them with the, the names macaroni and cheese right you know or or periwinkle and and you 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 get into coloring they 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 conform to 
the image that they are created in, and yet they are all different and useful, right? Because they exist in this form of usefulness, the Crayola crayon shape, and they are different and distinct and useful. I still have, unless you've got a black piece of paper, I've not found a, a real use for a white crayon, and yet it, they persist in putting it in there. Um, but, but, a, but a crayon is, is a wonderful thing. Now, as a, as a child, there would be this frequent frustration there because you know the many ways in which things can go wrong with crayons. And I'm not talking about coloring outside of the lines. I, I welcome and encourage you to do that. And I'm not, not talking about, you know, uh, in, if you're in Sunday school being given a picture of a shepherd and saying, these sheep are going to be green because that is what I choose. You go for it. You know, you're given, you're given a, a picture of, of Moses and the burning bush. You color his face purple if you so desire. Because that's, what I'm talking about is when you, when you are coloring and you, you're getting into it, and you're like, yes, I am filling this shape with a color which pleases me. And the tip suddenly comes off. You're just like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Right? Or if you open up the box and like all the colors that you're looking for are missing. It's like, what is what am I supposed to do with this? It is, it is ruined. Crayons, right? You, somebody, uh, people often will peel the, the wrapper off as they use the crayon. That's okay. They give you that sad little sharpener on the back of the big box. That thing doesn't work. But sometimes people peel the entire wrapper off, right? Or, or they, they put it back in and the crayon is busted, but just a little bit of wrapper holding it together, it's like, that is not a crayon. Fix that before you, you put it back in there. Um, something's gone wrong with the box. I think there's a similar sense in which we can say something uh, in, in the church in America has gone wrong. Uh, many people come into church expecting something. They expect to be... Uh, broken by the music, uh, inspired by the word, challenged with just maybe one or two things which they could change about their life, sent away to perhaps ignore what they've heard for a week and then come back next week for, for a fill-up. And they consider this being a Christian. But, but the, the church's message, though it ought to be inspiring, it ought not to be rude, it, it needs to be built on the truth, and the truth of the word of God can also often challenge us to our core. And so somebody coming into the church and expecting to be inspired or uplifted may find themselves beat up, called uh, to account. They may call them, they may find themselves, and they ought to find themselves frequently challenged to the core, that they do not line up to what they ought to be. And that, and that the image, the, the prototype that has been laid out for us is something which we fail to live up to. And yet, the gospel message that, that, that though we are not right with God, that though we do not exist in the image of him in the way that we ought to, that message ought to go forward with, with, a, with a, the, the appropriate degree of condemnation that we ought to be called to repent and put our faith in Christ who, who lived out that perfect image, who lived the way that we're called to live and that, that if we put our faith and trust in him and in his sacrifice on us, 
for us, we can possess his righteousness as a gift from God. That's the good news of the gospel. That message ought to communicate often. The, the, the problem, I think, with so much of evangelicalism, so many of the churches today, uh, is, that, is that the message of grace is trumpeted loudly. And we hear that God is love, and we hear that God is good, and this is true, but, but that message often goes forth and resounds without the rest of the message. The message that God calls those who repent and put their faith in Him not to be satisfied with their flaws or to celebrate their flaws, but to trust in Christ and be transformed over the duration of their life. To be remade and renewed in God's image. Something struck me a number of years ago when we were in uh, grad school, when I was in, in, in seminary, uh, working through uh, uh, the, the, the concept of the image of God, Dr. Mullen, one of my professors, uh, was was reading a passage on, on the goal of discipleship, the, the goal of, of the work of God in our lives transforming us. We, we are sinners, and we come to God repentant. We, we, we hear his word saying that, that there's none good, no, not one, and we say, what must I do to be saved? And we hear Jesus saying, repent, believe, and, and we do, we submit. And we say, we say, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. And then Jesus says, follow me. And so, so we come to him, and we learn that, that we're, to, we're to lay aside certain behaviors, and to put on other behaviors, and to, and to live this way. Uh, and Dr. Mullen read the passage that I read this morning, where, where they, they asked Jesus the question, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Uh, and, and Jesus, you'll know, often he will answer the question, and, 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 and when he gives the answer to the question that's being asked to him, he will load the answer with a whole bunch of other stuff that they weren't asking for, you know? The question of whether we should pay taxes to Caesar or not, for Jesus, I think is a small one. They thought it was like this big, you could see them, you know, uh, uh, adjusting their handlebar mustaches and rubbing their hands like they have got him. They have tied him up and put him in front of the train. This is it. This is going to destroy Jesus. And he's like, uh, they, they, he says, show me a coin. Uh, you know, they dig around and they pull out this coin. And he says, whose picture's on that thing? Well, that's Caesar's picture on the coin, right? He says, well, then give to Caesar what's his. He obviously owns that thing. And they're like, hmm. But he follows up with something they weren't expecting. He says, and render to God what's God's. Whose image and likeness is that coin created? And it's Caesar's. Then, 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 the, then the, the issues related to money and taxation are of Caesar's concern. Work that out with him. Whose image and likeness are you created in? Jesus is saying to the crowd. You're created in God's image? Then you ought to render to God what's God's. Discipleship. The, the act of helping another to follow Jesus. That's discipling. Following Jesus is being his disciple. The ministry of the church is to make disciples, which is to teach others, not just the content about what Jesus taught the, the, the first disciples, but to teach them to obey that 
content, to teach them to obey all the things that he commanded. It's the the restoring of the image of God in practice in in life. Uh, uh, Discipleship is not just the, the download of information into the minds of the Christian. Here, know all the Christian stuff. But, but knowing that stuff, knowing the things that we're supposed to know, the things which God commands us to do, and the things which God says, leave behind this behavior, we then put that into practice no matter how difficult it is. And sometimes, many times, the pain and difficulty of putting those things to practice in a fallen world filled with fallen people is a refining, transforming, changing act. Let's talk a little bit about the image of God. Uh, we, we talked about how, how crayons come in the image defined by Crayola, right? You know, that, that macaroni and cheese crayon, that periwinkle crayon comes in a particular form. Those are two of my favorites, by the way. You can't draw a whole lot with just those two, but, but there's something pleasing about pulling out the crayon and inspecting it and finding some clever name on it. I love the macaroni and cheese one. We were created in the image of God. Human beings are created in God's image. Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. That means to be created in the image of God, to exist in God's likeness, is to be in a state of of blessedness. It is good to be a human being. We have something which the other animals do not have. And we are creatures created by God. We are, we are like the creatures in that we are limited. We do not, we do not possess the, the infiniteness that God possesses, but we are unlike the creatures. We are not, just as the Disney song goes, another human animal. You are a, a human animal, they say. And it's, it's like you're just, you're just one of the animal kingdom. We're not. We're created in the image of God. We're in God's likeness. And, and in God's likeness, we have been entrusted with dominion. And we're called to, to keep the earth and to preserve it and to tend it. That's our delegated responsibility by God. Male and female created in the image of God and given dominion and blessed by God. And we have some responsibilities by virtue of our creation. By virtue of the fact that we are human, we have responsibilities. We're to love God. And to love God doesn't just mean that, that, that our heart is set aflutter when we sing a worship song. To love God means that, that when he says, live this way, we say, you are our God, and we will follow you. We're to, we're to love God as the, the greatest and most honorable being. And second, we're to love others. And that means that we never not obey God, 
But, but as we can, as we, as we see need, as we see ways in which we can help others, we love our brothers and sisters. We love our fellow humans. We care for them. Sometimes that means we need to say, you need to stop doing that, right? And sometimes it means we need to say, are, are, is, there a, is there some way I can help you? And, and then we, we help them. Those are our creation responsibilities. But humanity is like that box of crayons. You open it up, right? And there's like the, the cap of a marker stuffed in there and all the crayons are busted and they're all misarranged and misaligned and tips busted off and crushed and, and shattered and, and broken. Man was, as 1 Corinthians eleven seven says, He is the image and glory of God. That is what man was created to be. But Romans chapter 1, verse 22, says that claiming to be wise, we became fools and we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We we were created to view God as the the template for who we were to be, to to honor and to exalt Him in His ways and and to say yes to God and to say we are created in your likeness and we want to be like you and yet we have exchanged that glory. We've said, no, we don't want that. That's not our goal anymore. We want to be like other men or we want to worship images of man we want to worship birds and animals and creeping things and our our sinfulness our defiance our rebelliousness in our father adam disconnected alienated us from god we are busted as a child i often thought there should be a thing I've invented a thing in my head, and I don't know that I ever said anything to my mom or my dad. My grandfather always used to say, if you would make that thing, you'd be a millionaire. There should have been a thing. You unwrap the crayons and you, you put them in a vat, you know, and, they, and the crayons get, get heated up. And then at a particular point, you, like, you, you, you open a little floodgate and the crayon... Juice, wax, what is that? Flows into molds and becomes new crayons. New crayons, right? Not just, not the, not the crummy, like, I mean, what would, what would get produced but muddy crayons? And if, if you were just using all the crayons, there should be some way of, of making them those new pristine colors. Now, I, I'm happy to say, if, if, you, if you are a child in this room and you feel this burden, for $59.99 on Amazon.com, you can get the Crayola Crayon Remaker, or whatever it is called. It only has three stars, so don't expect too much. <laughs> but there ought to be a way to restore the box to its pristine condition and to get those crayons with their, with their beautiful tips back so that, so that when you reach for a particular color, I, I don't expect them to, to, to put a label printer in there or anything. But there ought to be a way to get, to get back The good news is that God is doing a work in the world reconciling men to himself. And he does this through his son. God is carrying on an image work, remaking humanity into 
his image, though that image is, is, is destroyed, disjointed, busted. Romans 8.29 says this, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That means that if you are a believer that God has said, this is what you will look like. You will look like what you are supposed to look like. You will look like my son. Jesus comes into this world. Many, many people say, I, I believe that Jesus was a good man. I believe that Jesus was a, was a, good, he was a good teacher. And if we, only we would follow his teachings, right? Have you ever heard that? People say things like, oh, if only we'd all follow Jesus' teachings. Really? I don't think you've read Jesus' teachings. What I, think you, what I think you have just settled on is you think that all Jesus ever taught was that people ought to love one another. But Jesus said crazy stuff, like you should eat my flesh and drink my blood. Should we all follow that teaching? Is that what you're talking about, right? Just store that in your pocket for when you need it. You might want to... You might wanna, you might want to arm yourself with your own objections, you know, when someone says, if we just followed Jesus' teachings, the world would be a better place. Well, it would, but I don't think it would look like you think it's, it's going to look. The Bible teaches that Jesus is not just another human being, that he is, he is very God, as, as the confession says. He is very God of very God and very, very man of very man. Humanity lies under the illusion or blindness to the reality of who Jesus is. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that, that in the case of unbelievers, the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The good news of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, is, is that God has sent an image into the world who resembles he is, not resembles, he is who we ought to be. Look at what, 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 what the passage says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Colossians 1.15, just in case we thought maybe this is like a, a, an obscure little teaching. Colossians 1.15 teaches that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is exactly what a human ought to be. And he is, he is the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. The good news of the gospel is this, that though we can never live up as human beings to who we are supposed to be, we can never keep the commandments as well as we ought. We can never obey perfectly. On, on Tuesday night in small group, we studied the passage where, where Jesus is calling people to follow him. And, and, and one guy is saying, well, first let me, let me do this, and first let me do that. And Jesus is saying, no, no, if you, don't, if you don't follow me fully. And these are not like crazy random excuses. These are reasonable things that, that, that people would say, but I'll follow you, but first I've got to do this. And Jesus says, no. And then he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is, is worthy to follow me. And one of the people... You know, in our Bible study, said, I, "I can't, I can't do that. That's, that's the truth. No one can, can put their hand to the plow and follow Jesus and never look back." But this is the good news of the gospel. 
Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the, the perfect human plows for us. He does the work for us. He lives the righteous life that we could never live and he is deemed perfect by his father. It occurred to me this morning that, that God the Father said of Jesus when he was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then when Jesus was transfigured on that mountain shortly before he went to the cross, the Father said, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him. Do whatever he says. Jesus is the image of God. And when we come to Christ, when we come to the Father, we're saying, I do not exist in the image of God in the way that I ought. I am, I am not in the image of Christ. I am not pleasing to you. Take my sins away and put it on that, on that, that man who went to the cross in my place and took my sin and give me his righteousness. Give me all that he accomplished for me. And when we are purified, Jesus says, follow me. Now, not in order to earn God's righteousness, but, but in order to live consistent with the image of God in your life, now follow me. This microphone cord has given me a fit this morning. Those of you who think I'm doing, this is not worship dance. This is not interpretive dance. This is, anyway, yeah, um, technology is tripping me up. 1 Corinthians 15.49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, of Adam, our father, who, who by his sin brings guilt upon us all. And, and not just that, it's, it's just like, man, if we could eliminate Adam, we'd, we'd be fine. No, we're in his image. We do what Adam does. God says, do this. And we, we're like, why? I don't want to do that. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We're being transformed into the image of the Son of God. We're heading back to who we were created to be. How does that work take place? First and foremost, we are being transformed by God. It is God's work. And compared to what we are to do in the process of sanctification, God does the great and mighty work. God does the great work. We do the work of simply obeying. And as we obey, by faith, we are transformed. Look at what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all with unveiled face. This is the idea that, that, that we are believing. We're not, we're not looking at God as a God who demands perfect conformity to his law by us in order to earn salvation. Instead, we understand that Christ is there and that Christ is obeyed perfectly for us. Uh, we all with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at the, the goodness and righteousness of Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That means that, that when, we, when we come to Christ, yes, we are righteous and perfect in the sight of God, positionally, God credits the righteousness of Christ to us. But there is this progression which we're supposed to make through the rest of our lives where we say, no, I am going to pray because it honors God. 
I am going to read God's word and and seek to obey it because it honors God. I am going to love my enemy, not because it it gives me a thousand righteousness points with which I can eventually trade them in for my own salvation. That's, that's That's the way that people who don't understand the gospel think. No, I'm going to obey God because it brings glory to God and because that is what I was created to do. Not to earn anything, but because of God's goodness and love toward me. We, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at Jesus and saying, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for never lowering the standard. Thank you for for saying that, that God deserves to be worshipped and that we ought to throw away our idols. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, a little bit more more explanation on how this happens. The how of how it happens. We need to engage it each and every day. We we see the standard which God lays out. We understand that that Christ is the source of our righteousness and that the Spirit is, is working in us. And we understand that God speaks to us through his word. That is how God communicates to his people. And we say, I am going to bring my life into conformity by the Spirit, using the word, obeying. That is how we are transformed. Colossians 3.9 is, is a great example, okay? Here comes a command. Do not lie to one another. This might be an enormous struggle for some, not so much for others. You, know, you might be the kind of person who, who when, you're, when you're hit with a stressful situation, suddenly you're like, ah, I'm gonna, the easy way out is lie, you know? Like, so here's a command. Do not lie to one another. It's much better to obey than to go later and, and pray in confession. God says, uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. Colossians 3.9 says, do not lie to one another. Why? I mean, Jesus takes care of the lies, doesn't he? So why don't we lie to one another? Because it says that we have put off the old self with its practices. We were in the image of Adam. We were that busted, mangled horrific, unusable crayon. And we have now put on the new self, it says in verse 10. We've put off the old self with its practices. I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to live like that. That does not bring glory to God. That does not bring honor to him. That dishonors God and and angers him. And I'm going to leave that behind. I'm going to put on the new self. I want to be glorious and beautiful. Yes, God makes me righteous through the gift of righteousness in Christ, but I want to bring my behavior and my actions in conformity with who I am. We've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This takes hard work. This takes hard work. Do we suffer in order to be saved. No. No, we don't. We don't suffer in order to be saved. We, we look to Christ. And just like those, those Israelites who were out in the wilderness who were grumbling and cursing and God sent snakes among the Israelites and they were bitten and they were, they were suffering and some of them were dying, 
They were told, if you just look at the bronze serpent on the pole, you will be saved. What kind of effort does it take to look? Does it involve suffering? No, it's just a look, and they're saved. Jesus says, just as the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We look to Christ, we confess our sinfulness, we confess that we need his righteousness, and we are saved. No suffering, no pain, no sweat. But following Jesus for the remainder of our life, that is difficult, hard work. You want to make a sword, you have to go and pound metal in the forge, a hammer and an anvil. In order to to sculpt a statue, you need to chip away stone with a hammer and a chisel. I am sure you are going to get some dust in your eyes. You might choke a little bit, you know? There's, there's hours upon hours of, of polishing and shaping and sculpting. There is an enormous amount of energy that goes into planning to construct a building, and there will be bruises and cuts and scrapes as you put that building together. The craftsman who, who lays out a beautiful course of bricks or stones to build a wall or a new structure has to, to, to lay that, that mortar wisely and apply stone. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of calculation and energy that goes into that. Following Jesus takes time and effort and involves suffering. Now, now the two images come together, this idea that God is the one who does the work and yet we must strain and work as well. I think that they, that they come together in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, Him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The, there they are grown up, producing good fruit like a, a mature tree. They're their belief and their practices line up. Now look at what Paul says in verse 29. He says, for this I toil. That's a a difficult word. That's a word that involves energy and strain and labor. For this I toil. And then he uses another word just like that. Struggling with all his energy. Struggling with all God's energy that he powerfully works within me. Working with the work of God within us and others. Remember what Jesus said. Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Whose image is on those coins? Render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but render to God what is God's. It is your life's work. It is your creation responsibility as a human redeemed by God through Christ by the power of the gospel, to follow Jesus down that path and to be shaped and renewed into the image of God's Son. Discipleship is not just learning more about Jesus. It's not just like, there, there, are, there are people who say things, we, we'll, we'll say, hey, you know, have you considered leading a small group or have you considered getting involved in discipling others? And they'll say things like, I don't know enough about the Bible. Do you mean like you don't know, like, 
Like when David was king, or you don't know if Manassas was a good king or a bad king. Is that what you, is that what you don't know? Because honestly, like that's not primary of importance. Because there are some people who know the names of the, the kings of Israel backwards and forwards, and, and their lives don't resemble Jesus at all. The simple wisdom of obeying what we already know. Not of behaving to earn God's favor, but of bringing ourselves under the authority of God and and in line with the, the working of the Spirit that we might be shaped into God's image is what is of of primary importance. Now, if you're anything like me, and I think you are, because most of you keep coming back here every week, then you might struggle at this point. I think that our, our contemporary world has programmed us to think that if we just apply the, the latest software patch, right, you know, or if we, if we just get everything organized, then everything will work the way it's supposed to. Then, then the machine will do what it's told. But though people resemble machines, we are, we are not machines. We're more like plants, right? The analogy that's used in, in, in Psalm 1, which I think is like the Genesis 1 of the Psalms, is, is the image of a tree that gives forth its fruit, that it's planted right next to the stream and it, it sinks its roots deep into the, the, the river of the Word of God and it absorbs all that it needs and it, it puts forth fruit and it just looks beautiful. People are not machines. And so this is not just a matter of, man, if I just hit the right sermon series, or if I can just read my Bible in a year, or if I can just pray seven days out of the week, then everything will come into line. That's not the way this works. You you can't hit the fast forward button on your discipleship. Right? Sometimes... And God is the one who determines this. You need to have the difficult experience of being betrayed by someone and saying, God, I am so broken inside right now. Help me to find comfort in you. Not just, not just praying to God like, you know, I'm going to put a quarter in this little machine here. I'm going to turn the knob and the thing that comes out in that little plastic bubble is going to change my entire life and I'm going to be happy again. That's, this is the way that we think. I just need my prize. You ever gotten to the bottom of a box of Cracker Jack and there's nothing in there? Or you tear, you tear open that little, that little red and white, you guys got to eat more Cracker Jack. You open that, that red, no you don't actually. You open that little red and white envelope and there's like a magnifying glass in there and you're like, that's lame. This is not a prize. What am I supposed to do with this thing? It's red plastic, I can't see anything with it. Oh, it's a decoder Glass. I'm supposed to read the box, and the box says, eat more Cracker Jack. <laughs> Having a difficult experience struggling with trusting God that, that when you say, I am going to patiently endure evil, or I am going to share this word, or I am going to trust that, that you're not going to leave me or forsake me, though we're struggling financially, or I, I don't know precisely what this illness is, I don't know how to handle this, being dependent on God and seeing God deliver you grows you into his image gradually or slowly. 
Paul rebukes the idea that, that if people just get the right teacher, then they'll be superior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, right? They were just instruments, tools in the hand of God. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God is is working in your life. When you hear that word from, from the preacher and you're like, I do not like that. And it's not that the content is wrong, it's that it hits who you are and you say, I am not going to bring my life into conformity with that. That's the point at which God is working. When you're, when you're reading in the Bible and you're like, man, I'm just going to fast forward through this passage right here because this really hits me right, right where it hurts. Like, I, I don't do that. I've not done that. And it's going to be hard. That's where God is doing work. You need to slow down and, and focus and, and dig in. You, uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, are God's workmanship created for good works in Christ which God prepared beforehand. God is the one who gives the growth, but we are to press forward into his image and we can help others in the journey to be conformed. Paul says in verse 16 of, second, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. The double image. The image of God in you by virtue of creation destroyed by sin. The image of the Son as the the template of God's transformation by the power of the Spirit within you. Those humans who reject God's agenda for their lives, that reject being transformed in the image of Son, are separated from Him eternally. They destroy God's temple, they are destroyed. But those who say yes and who follow are those who receive an eternal reward. Well, let's, let's just think about bring the crayon analogy home to the Christian and ask, what does it mean to exist in the image of the Son? I think there are two kinds of discipleship. We can just kind of get down into nuts and bolts. I think there's what we could call the basic package, right? You know, if there was an, an eight-package crayons, you, you, if you like opened up that package and it was all blue, you'd be like, how do I make anything with this? Like, can't make a fire engine, can't color an apple tree, Right, right, you know, my, my brother's a redhead, you know, does his hair have to be blue? You know, you want certain colors in there. The, the basic package for discipleship involves knowledge of God's ways plus faith that results in obedience, which, which results in transformation as God's grace, gracious power does its work. Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded. And there are some basics. As Christians, I believe that, that we all ought to, as we, as we come to Christ, learn 
to engage certain behaviors in our lives. And, and when, you, when you get to the point where you are a worker, you're going to be able to, to take somebody who, who comes to you and says, hey, maybe we could spend some time reading the Bible together. Or, man, I'd really like to grow in my faith. Or, or do you think you could hold me accountable? All these things. There ought to be some information that you're transmitting to them. And you're like, all right, I've got to check them in these basic areas. Right? They, they need to be lined up here. This is what it means to be a Christian. I think that there are seven. Sorry, not a multiple of eight. Like crayons, it would have been just perfect. But hey, sermon illustrations have their limitations. What, what, what does a believer look like? I believe that believers always repent and believe in the gospel. They always repent and believe in the gospel. They, they hear the good news for the first time or the seventh time, or the hundredth time, and they say, yes, that's what I need. And then for the rest of their lives, they realize that when God's word calls them up short and exposes their deficiencies, that they repent. All Christians are repentant sinners for the remainder of their lives. They repent and repent and repent. And as a mark of that repentance, the second thing that they do is they are baptized. That's the image of being part of the, the family of Jesus and not the family of Adam, of coming under the, the covenant of grace. It's the mark of entering into the family. And then, following that, believers pray. They pray to God. They, they express that dependence each and every day that they are not them, themselves. The life is not lived completely under their power, but that they're entrusting their day and their circumstances and their obedience and their help into God's hands. They pray and they ask God to change themselves and the world around them and to help. They embrace love in all of its forms. Love not defined in a mushy way by the world, but love as defined by the scriptures. Love that involves both truth and grace. Love that can rebuke and love that can encourage and, and lift up the downtrodden. They celebrate the Lord's Supper as evidence of the source of their salvation, celebrating that understanding that as they do that, they will be strengthened in their faith. And they share the gospel and then make disciples. That's seven. Repent and believe, be baptized, pray, love, celebrate the Lord's Supper, share the gospel, and make disciples. Those are the basics. I don't think you need a whole lot more to get the Christian life started. And then there is the ongoing package that every single believer goes through, and, and we need each other. We need good, solid Christian friends who will help us and challenge us and shape us. We need the Word to teach us all that we can know about God, ourselves, and the world. And we need to be digging in on a regular basis and, and in expanding our knowledge, not just so that we know the names of the kings of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom backwards and forwards in Hebrew, but so that we know how it is that, that we're, we're supposed to handle being alive today in the world as Christians. How does God's word apply to the lives that we're living now? We need the word. We need brothers and sisters to help us. We need regular sitting under the word of God and hearing the word of God proclaimed by others, whether it's in our small groups or in, in our Sunday school meetings or, in, or from the pulpit. We need the word in our lives to expose our sins and to call us to repentance and also to encourage us not to give up and to hope in the return of Christ. And then we need 
to engage some form of ministry activity where we're involved in the life of the church, demonstrating that the family of God is important and that others ought to come into it. It is all built on this foundation, though, of, of realizing that in our hearts we have, we have gone astray, we've demonstrated that, that straying from the truth of God in our, in, our, in our behaviors, and that we are not existing in the image that we ought to, but that, that we understand that God is remaking us according to the image of His Son, and that that is going to take the rest of our lives, even though we receive the righteousness of Christ, which we ought to celebrate and enjoy when we believe. And so here are the questions that I'd like to end with. One, have you believed that you are not in the image that you ought to be? And you see the Son and say, that is what I should be. And you've repented and asked God to give you the righteousness of His Son. Have you, have you believed in the gospel? Have you, have you believed in the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Second, have you continued to follow him? Hebrews says that we all ought to strive for the holiness without which we will not see the Lord. So are you following Jesus down that road of discipleship? And third, do you have any brothers and sisters around you that you are helping? That you are helping to follow Jesus? That you are saying, I, I have walked down this path. I may not be a hundred steps ahead of you, but I'm three or four. I can, I can help. I can, I can show you. Come, come with me. And if not, why not? If you need any help in this area, I encourage you to come and to talk to me or to one of the elders. Uh, talk to a small group leader. Uh, this is an area that we desire to excel in and to grow in as a church. So I just want to challenge and encourage you to do that. Uh, Jesus calls all humans to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to render to God the things that are God. Should not we, who are doubly created in God's image, created in the image of God by our birth, and created again in the Son, should we not seek to be conformed into God's image all of our lives? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share this word. I pray that we would be both encouraged and disturbed. And I pray that, that we would be encouraged to follow you, to, to be renewed and remade. I pray that, that we would be disturbed out of complacency, if perhaps uh, obedience has just become a matter of, of routine living, perhaps it has become something that, 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 that we're, not, we're no longer looking for ways in which we are living inconsistent with your will, we're just, just carrying on the behaviors we've always carried on, because those are the Christian things to do. I pray that we would be shaken out of that sleep. I pray as well that, that we would not be satisfied with just living our Christian lives, but as dad and mom, we would seek to disciple our children. And that as brother and sister Christian, we would seek to disciple those around us. And as 
friend or small group leader or Sunday school teacher or elder that we would be looking around us and saying, who is it that I can help to follow Jesus as I seek to follow him myself? I pray that you would continue to to build our church and that you would be glorified by it, Lord. We sang that we're living for your glory. We pray that it would be true both in the sentiments of, of our heart and in the behaviors which we display each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's sing this closing song as we close.